Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, where we feature conversations on church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, and today I'm joined by Johnny Moore. Johnny is the former senior vice president at Liberty University, the world's largest Christian university. He's the author of many best-selling books and has been featured in uh, media around the world. He's on television, radio, and and often featured in op-eds and, and influential publications. I'm going to talk to Johnny today about his latest uh, cause and mission. Uh, he just recently finished a book called Defying ISIS, and Johnny has been an effective advocate for Middle Eastern Christians uh, who are under threat of ISIS, being persecuted for their faith, refugees who are displaced. He's done incredible work traveling overseas many, many times and using his influence to uh, influence governments and influence the church here to support our fellow brothers and sisters overseas. He's going to give us an update of, of what he's seeing over there and really an impassioned plea for the church to really uh, support financially and prayerfully and, and in every way with our influence our brothers and sisters overseas and in these historic Christian communities who are being targeted by ISIS. Before we begin, I want to encourage you, if you're attending the SBC convention in June in Columbus, Ohio, to come visit the ERLC booth. We'll also be hosting an event with Nine Marks Ministries. And I also want to tell you to save the date for August 5th and our second annual national conference. This will be held here in Nashville at the Music City Center. Our theme will be the gospel and politics. Dr. Russell Moore will host uh, some other evangelical leaders like Sammy Rodriguez, and we'll be discussing what Christian cultural engagement should look like, especially as we head into another heated presidential election. So check out my website, danieldarling.com, and the podcast page and find all the details there. We'll post them there for you. And when you register for our national conference in August, put the coupon code WAYHOME and get a special 15% discount. Johnny Moore, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, always a pleasure. So I've been following your work for a while, and, and specifically your work uh, in the Middle East among Middle Eastern uh, Christians who are being displaced, and, and many of them targeted for, for persecution. And so can you tell me a little bit about why this work really resonates with you and how you came to be an advocate for them? Yeah, well, I, when I was at Liberty University, I among other things, I was responsible for the University Center for Global Engagement, and you know it, it had the effect of, of putting me all over the world, meeting persecuted Christians in a number of different countries. And you know what I was most struck by was that persecution was rampant, but it, but it wasn't talked about very much. Mm-hmm. You had to sort of go find the stories, and, and people smuggled them out of difficult places, and mm-hmm. then. And we have seen something totally different in the face of ISIS. We've seen overt and apparent persecution, public beheadings. You know, they're doing it and bragging about it, and they're doing it on a scale that we see about once in a thousand years, and that's no exaggeration. And so the more I learned about it, the more I decided I had to do something about it. You know, when Christians over here are, are processing the news and they're thinking to themselves, I mean, they're they're outraged, they're upset at the suffering that's happening of our brothers and sisters overseas— but I think there's there's some feeling that of helplessness of what what actually can we do? And so, can you tell our audience what can Christians do? Yeah, well, actually, this is one of the reasons why I, I wrote Defying ISIS because I I felt like we had to educate the church on what exactly was happening. And so when I when I made my trip to Iraq earlier this year, you know, coupled with a number of trips to Jordan and 
lots and lots of interaction with Christians in the region. You know, I, I, I discovered that the, the situation was so much worse than I even knew that it was. Mm. And, you know, I, I think the first thing we need to do, you know, as, as the church and as, as people that care, uh, that, you know, those who are Christians and those who aren't, is, is that we have to educate ourselves on the issue. We have to start telling those stories and put pressure on government to do more, because the, the truth is the only uh, people powerful enough to, to resolve this conflict and to save these lives uh, are, are the government. I mean, it, it's going to have to be government in the United States and governments around the world to stop ISIS. And, you know, and then, you know, additionally, we, as, as the Church, we need to do what the Church does best, which is provide humanitarian mm-hmm. assistance and support to these people, because ISIS wins anyhow if these thousands of displaced Christians die of, of preventable diseases and a lack of, of food and shelter, which is what's happening now. They will have fled ISIS to starve to death if we mm. don't start providing for what the UN calls the worst humanitarian crisis of our modern era. Mm. Johnny, do you think that people now are just beginning to to think about Christians overseas because we're seeing the headlines? I mean, you know, if you live in America, you have a fairly comfortable life. We're somewhat isolated from the world scene, from global engagement. Uh, do you think that's one of the reasons uh, we've been so slow to advocate for our brothers and sisters overseas? Yeah, I mean, it's probably no surprise to to most of the people listening to this that most Christians in America probably didn't have a clue there were these Christian communities in Iraq and mm-hmm. Syria. We we just don't think of it very often, and. And the fact is, you know, there are Christian communities in Iraq and Syria that have existed for nearly 2,000 years, and they thrived for nearly 2,000 years, and they've survived every empire, and, you know, and yet we're watching their systematic destruction in our Mm. modern era in the most egregious and horrific form imaginable. And so, you know, I I absolutely believe that people here are just awakening to it, but those of us that have been involved in the region for a while know that ISIS isn't starting something, they're finishing it. Mm. I mean, in fact, you know, Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, you know, he took charge of an organization that at that point was called the Islamic State of Iraq mm. in May of 2010. And the first and most significant attack that he did after taking charge of the organization was attack a church in Baghdad mm. a little later that year. And that was in 2010. You know, the, the Christian population in, in Iraq has, has declined from 1.5 million people 10 years ago to you know, at, at the most liberal estimate is 300,000, and it's mm. probably more like 150,000. And in Syria, I mean, we, you know, we've seen the total, total decimation of these ancient Christian communities. And in the country that, that still has cities named after the biblical towns that, mm. that you know, and Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. We forget these things. But the fact is the Church, the church hasn't cared enough for their brothers and sisters in Iraq and Syria and, and I do think a lot of it is we just weren't educated on the issue. And now that we have the burden of knowledge, we have to do much more, much more quickly. What are some of the misconceptions that American Christians might have about the Christian communities overseas? What are some of the things that, you know, born out of ignorance or born out of just not being aware that we have? Well, I, I think, you know, a, a lot of Americans think that, you know, Christians in, in the Middle East are, are somehow, you know, not you know, that, that committed to Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, Sort of like you know culturally Christian, but you know what I what I discovered when when I went there and, and what I've written a lot about in, in defining ISIS is that these people are basically the most committed people to Jesus mm. Christ I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I, 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 I've 
was struck by the fact that nearly every Christian I met is willing to die for what so many Christians in this country are barely willing to live for. Mm. And you know, d- despite the fact that their faith nearly cost them their lives, you can't go to a, a refugee camp in northern Iraq without seeing crosses all over the tents in the camps, because these Christians decided, you know, rather than hide, they, they would raise their cross higher. And, you know, and, and even some of the leaders from the most destroyed places, places like Mosul and Katakosh, you know, they, they have this sort of strength in their eyes, and they quote people like Tertullian, you know, and speaking of the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the Church, and they, they speak openly about the responsibility Jesus is giving them to carry their own cross, and they're willing to carry their own cross. And so I, I found a, a sort of first-century devotion in the Middle East that was alive and well, and in stark comparison to the to the Christianity I've become so accustomed to in the in the ease of the West. As you travel uh, the United States and, and around Western uh, countries, are you finding that this issue is is kind of galvanizing young evangelicals um, toward global engagement, toward mission work, toward relief and humanitarian work? Absolutely. I, I'm finding people incredibly, incredibly engaged suddenly. Now, it's been a long road you know, to hoe. I mean, I, I first you know, wrote on this subject more than a year ago, and you know, it seemed like I was a voice crying in the wilderness. But but it, but finally, you know, it seems like people are are raising their voices and raising funds and and going to the region and doing everything that they can to help. And and it's incredibly incredibly encouraging. But we also have to do more. We've got mm-hmm. to do it more quickly. You know, we've got to rush in for for these people. And we have to pray the prayer that Paul told the church at Thessalonica. Uh, to, to pray when he said, pray that God would deliver us from wicked and evil people. Now, that's a prayer we need to pray every day. It, again, it's a once-in-a-thousand-year crisis. This isn't the time to have like a, just a persecution Sunday once a year. This is every single time the doors of the Church are open, every single time a Christian leader speaks, we need to be begging people to pray and praying ourselves for these people in harm's way. I want to dig into that a little bit more. What can churches do? I, I think this has raised awareness in churches, but you know, you get into the rhythm of church life and you might have a persecution Sunday, but then we kind of forget the other weeks of the year. What would you encourage churches to do? And how would you encourage pastors and church leaders to kind of galvanize their people around uh, advocacy and support for our brothers and sisters overseas? I think they need to. The churches need to more familiarize themselves with the, with the crisis, and they can because this is the 21st century, and this mm-hmm. is a digital war, and all yeah. the information you need is available to them. So, educate yourself. You know that, that's why, again, why I wrote the book. I, I, in a very concise way, produced a primer to help everyone understand what's happening. You know, secondly, I, I think we have to socialize it among our peers as as faith leaders and among our congregations. We need to talk about it regularly. We need to pray about it regularly. And third, we need to do exactly what the church in Antioch did for the church in Jerusalem in the first century. And when the church in Jerusalem was facing a crisis, in that case it was a famine, the, the wealthier, more influential church in Antioch, which, by the way, wasn't very old, it was just wealthy and influential, kind of like the American church, you know, it, it raised a lot of money, and it provided mm-hmm. immediate humanitarian assistance to save the church in Jerusalem, the church of the apostles. And that's exactly what we need to do as the church in the West. We need to raise resources, and there are 
so many wonderful organizations that are trying to take care of these people. Lots and lots of them. I don't care which one you give to. Just give to one that's getting money on the ground to help take care of these people to show the love of Christ in, in this time of need. And by the way, not just for Christians, but for other religious minorities like Yazidis and Mandeans and Kakais. And, by the way, for the majority Muslim population, because more Muslims have been killed by ISIS than anyone else. And it will take the mm. best of faith to defeat the worst of religion. You know, this is the time for Christians to, to give more love to every Muslim they can meet and shower every mosque in America and in every country of the world with the type of compassion and kindness that has been our reputation for 2,000 years. You know, a lot of the attention goes to... Uh those who have been martyred for for their faith over there, and and we weep with them, and but we we sometimes forget just the large number of refugees that have escaped ISIS. There's pretty much a humanitarian crisis over there, isn't there? Can you talk specifically about ways that people can give uh, in order to help these people? Organizations that you might recommend? Yeah, I, the humanitarian crisis is incomprehensible, and and mm. because the West is so uh, sort of exhausted with with Iraq and Syria. You know, they, they just haven't responded. So, you know, to take, for instance, in Jordan, where the world was providing a million Syrian refugees cash every single month that, that have been displaced to Jordan, all that money is dried up. And so you have all these people that no longer can take care of their families. And so where the government has stepped out of the equation, private nonprofits are stepping in and the church is stepping in. And there's so many good organizations. The two that I support most personally as an individual our World Health. I, you know, I work with World Health all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and secondly, the Cradle Fund, cradlefund.org. It's an it's a initiative that I helped you know, create to get money on the ground through mm-hmm. local uh, organizations. But then everybody, every NGO you can imagine, every Christian organization you can imagine is at work. You know, the Samaritan's Purse of the World and, and the, the, pre, the Preemptive Love Coalition and Canon Andrew White's organization mm-hmm. and you know, the, the list just goes on and on and on. There are lots of organizations doing lots of good work, but they need more resources now. I had a chance to meet Ken Andrew White here. He was in Nashville and a remarkable, remarkable fellow and really uh, uh, admire him. How can people steward their influence? So we can give money to help refugees, and we should, we should really do that. But we also have influence here as citizens of a democracy. We can pressure our leaders. How would you recommend uh, Americans do that? Well, the first thing is join the war against ISIS. Yeah. And the way you can do that is through social media. Mm-hmm. You know, ISIS has, has really, really effectively used technology to, to spread their propaganda and to rally people to their cause. Well, you know, there, there are so many Christians on planet Earth and comparable to so few members of ISIS. I mean, if mm-hmm. we really, really start raising our voice, we can, we can, we can show that love is stronger than hate, and we can we can have our own attempt at defying ISIS by every single day using our, our little individual billboards on Facebook and Twitter to raise awareness and to put pressure on leaders and to call people to prayer. You know, and when it comes to putting pressure on leaders, you know, we have to put unrelenting pressure on political leaders on both sides of the aisle right now to pay more attention to this issue, because the fact is they aren't paying enough attention. You know, j- just recently, ISIS went towards 10 unarmed Christian villages south of the Kaaba River in Syria, mm. and they did it in a convoy of 40 clearly marked ISIS vehicles heading towards those 10 unarmed Christian villages. And yet in the West, we would be, you know, we, we've been taught to believe that, you know, when something like that happens, airstrikes come and takes out those people. But that's not what happened. Not a single airstrike came. Not a single member of the coalition mm. forces tried to propel or repel those 40 
vehicles, clearly marked ISIS vehicles. They came, they kidnapped 300 Christians, and they took them off to their uh, cities. And so we need to make sure that politicians know that we know that actually there are only 7 to 12 airstrikes a day compared to Bosnia, where there were 140 a day. Mm. We recognize that ISIS has a piece of land that's larger than the United Kingdom, and now they're exercising control of northern Nigeria and large parts of Libya, and they're involved in Yemen and parts of Egypt. Like This is a very, very significant global threat, mm. and, uh, and in this world, you know, it, it's, it's more difficult for politicians to assume we're ignorant, because all the information's out there, so we have to avail ourselves of the information and we have to put pressure on the leaders that can make a difference. It almost reminds you of the lead-up to the World War War II, where you had the Nazis taking land and power and people kind of ignoring it and ignoring it to where it became uh, a huge global threat. Obviously, two different types of ideologies and organizations, but uh, still very, very scary. Are you seeing in your travels that uh, some of the Arab countries are stepping up in terms of uh, combating ISIS and providing refugee relief over there? Yeah, you know, I I would say that the best hope of the region is are the Arab countries. You know, the King Abdullah, you know, the King of Jordan mm. is an unbelievable leader that will do everything in his power to take care of ISIS and to take care of Christian refugees and other refugees. He's absolutely committed to doing that, but he's under resourced. Mm. You know, this is a you know, this is the example of the best of faith. You know, I, I don't know a Muslim in the world that that is more intent on uh, destroying ISIS and helping those in harm's way. You know, than than King of, of Jordan. He's, he's a person of peace, you know, in the region and a friend of the Christian community. But he doesn't have enough bullets to fight them, and he doesn't have enough resources to provide aid for all of the refugees. It's leaders like this that need help. Well, Johnny Moore, I really appreciate you coming on here and and talking about this and really helping to raise awareness using your influence and your platform to do this to awaken the Christian community. I really hope and pray that uh, God continues to give you favor in this in this way. And I'm going to encourage all of my uh, listeners to get your book, Defying ISIS. We'll have links to it on, on the website and everything like that. But Johnny Moore, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to thank my friend Johnny Moore for that sobering conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by emailing me at wayhome at erlc.com or better yet, writing a review on iTunes. If you're interested in our other conversations with Christian leaders, such as Matt Chandler, David Platt, Molly Hemingway, Thabiti Anyuwale, Karen Swallow-Prior, and others, check out the podcast page on my website, danieldarling.com, or look up the Way Home podcast in iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn. On my website, you also find information about our national conference on the gospel and politics here in Nashville on August 5th. Don't forget the special coupon code WAYHOME for a 15% discount. Hope to see you there in August. But for now, thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. Mm-hmm.